today on the Almond Journey podcast. Now it's kind of hard to say no if it's going to cost the same as burning, but you've got all of your environmental health benefits, plus probably some slow release fertilizer that you've recovered and been able to put back on the ground. The business case for trying whole orchard recycling as well as cover crops with Agus Capital. Welcome to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On this show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their communities, and advance the almond industry. Today's episode takes us inside Agus Capital an employee-owned management firm that collaborates with their investors to purchase farmland and then ultimately oversee the management of those farms. Joining us is Carl Evers, Director of Sustainability, and Jeremy Olday, who's one of the farm managers. Both Carl and Jeremy have ag business degrees, Carl from Cal Poly and Jeremy from Fresno State. And these guys do a great job of providing perspective from both the strategic side of the business and also from the actual operation side of orchard management. In recent years, Agus has been implementing whole orchard recycling as well as cover crops. Carl and Jeremy described the business cases for these new sustainable approaches and what they've been learning along the way. Towards the end, we'll also touch on how these practices are being leveraged for a certification that's also very helpful for their business. A lot to explore here today, but to kick things off, Director of Sustainability Carl Evers gives us more of a high-level overview of Agus Capital. Yeah, sure. So we are an ag investment manager. And so we uh, take capital from funds or separate accounts and deploy them into farm properties across the U.S. Uh, but we're really West Coast focused, you know, California, Washington, primarily being where most of our assets lie. And so, you know, we sort of have two functions there. Uh, we are investment managers, right? We We put together the the land acquisition and uh, strategically invest capital to improve value there. But then we're also farm managers where we we operate the properties for the clients, you know, to varying degrees of detail, just depending on uh, the asset itself and sort of what the, the client wants. And in your role, Carl, in sustainability, how do you guys think about decisions like that? And how do you translate it from like, a, this sounds like it's a good thing to do to like, this is actually going to hit the bottom line? Yeah, well, and and some of this uh, involves folks that have uh, more specific and fine-tuned skills than I do, right? But sort of have a three-legged stool that has to balance out, right? So I'm making this decision. I'm looking at the economic component. I'm looking at the environmental component and the social component, and I'm weighing the risks, the rewards, and you know, sort of the costs of all three of those aspects. And so we have analysts inside of our business, and then we have folks like Jeremy and ourselves that have experience on the ground doing these projects. And so we will look at a decision on orchard recycling or a fertilizer material, et cetera, and really weigh those three things, right? Economic, social, environmental, and figure out where the best fit is. And, you know, being sustainable isn't necessarily leaning all of your decision on one stool because it has to be something that makes sense and has staying power for the business. So it's great. We've got farmers then with the power of trained analysts to back us up and help us make sure that we're making decisions that uh, are going to pencil out. 
And Jeremy, from your perspective and the time that you've been with the company, you know, how have you seen some of these sustainability decisions kind of like make a difference at the orchard level? One example that comes to mind is uh, cover cropping. It's gotten more popular, but it really helps with water retention. I mean, I, I couldn't give you a specific dollar amount, but things like that in general, yeah, I don't see much negativity to them. And maybe talk more about the what has been your experience with cover crops so far. Uh, how long have you been doing them? And, you know, you mentioned water retention, but uh, give us kind of some more details on what you've been working on there. This is kind of a newer thing for us. One client's asset in particular that comes to mind, um, it's got walnuts and almonds, and we chose to cover crop. The ground is fairly heavy on that property. So breaking up the clay, aerating, uh, allowing... Water penetration, um, it's been good. And, you know, you can pre-harvest, you can mow. And that way it's not affecting when you shake. And Carl, is is the interest in cover crops what led you to kind of seeds for bees? Or is it vice versa or not even related? Oh, I don't remember which one came first, to be honest. <laughs> no, I mean, so the importance of cover crops in the farming system probably led us to seeds for bees, thinking about it now. You know, so we've got all of sort of the, the soil and atmospheric benefits that our industry is embracing now around cover crops. But you, you look at almonds specifically and the importance of having healthy pollinators on site, right? And not just the imported bees that you're renting, but, you know, whatever sort of native population you can build up is, is also incredibly important. And so when there's a program where those can sort of work together and complement each other, it starts to make a lot of sense. And then, you know, you factor in the economic part of it. If you're going to spend 20 or $30 to sort of fortify your bee habitat per acre, when you're spending $200 plus an acre to rent bees every year, it just is a hedge that makes sense. Further to that, you know, programs like Seeds for Bees, there's financial incentives for growers to sort of get in in the first couple of years. And I think that's been a great thing because it, it takes a lot of the the financial risk away from the farmer and sort of trying it out because the first year doesn't always work out perfect. And now you have sort of a safety net there with the financial incentives. Absolutely. And Jeremy, from your perspective, how the kind of the logistics of the Seeds for Bees program work for you? Talk about maybe your involvement in that and what it took to kind of make it happen at the orchard level. Carl kind of set things up for me. As soon as the seed got there, we found a way to try to broadcast some edges of orchards. I think it's still a little early and we're kind of awaiting results. Um, but I think it's going to be a multi-year project to kind of really fine tune it and get a good seed bank built up. Seeds for Bees makes it really easy. They offer a variety of mixes depending on what you want to try and accomplish, whether you want to build soil or you want different flowers with different pollens and proteins to encourage bee activity. It's been relatively easy. We'll look a little more into it after planting a couple blocks to try and maybe think about doing middle rows every other row or something like that. When did you first start planting cover crops, Jeremy? And I know you said kind of the water holding capacity is one benefit you've seen. I'm curious if you've seen other benefits as well so far. The Seeds for Bees project we started this fall. They recommend sometime around mid-November to drill seeds. So yeah, this this is a fairly new thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll say just from some past experiences of my own, 
there were a lot of surprises with cover crops and I would say some good ones. So, you know, um, probably one of the ways I came up thinking about orchard floors is they need to be clean, right? Keep everything short, then you either spray them down or float them out before harvest. But in fields where we had implemented um, cover crops kind of found that, you know, managed right, the root mass really holds that ground together when you're going through harvesting activities. And so one, you're not beating up your equipment, picking up, you know, soil and sand. But two, you're also emitting a lot less dust through your harvesting process, which obviously from an air quality standpoint is great. But then just from a productivity and worker safety standpoint, the fact <laughs> that you've got better air to breathe and you can see what's going on around you was was really great. And so, you know, I mean, un unless it was really poorly managed, there were no um, horror stories of all this trash to work through and a bunch of weeds getting in with the almonds, all of that. So that was a really great benefit. And I think also winter access onto the orchard floors when you were conducting spray mowing activities, things like that. You know, those plants being in the ground really actually improved how early you could get in after uh, the wet season, which probably lowered compaction on the floors. Depending on your air district and, and localities, there may be uh, tax incentives too for low dust equipment and cover crops kind of go hand in hand with that. Cool. Well, you guys did a good job of hitting all three legs of the stool there that uh, Carl had mentioned earlier. You know, you got the economic with the cost of pollination versus the cost of the, you know, pollinator habitat, plus the help from seeds for bees uh, and water infiltration obviously has an economic impact as well. But then you've also got the the sustainability aspect, of course, with the cover crops building soil and providing habitat for pollinators. And you've got the social aspect with the dust and, you know, the points that Carl just made. So well done there. You guys cover all your bases on that one. Anything else on the seeds for bees or cover crops in general that you think would be helpful for other growers and people in the industry out there to know before we move on to, to the next topic of conversation? Well, I mean, I think just making sure folks know that there are grant funds available to get started, right? And I think the way it's set up is great because it's primarily focused on those first couple of years of implementation. And then once you get to sort of realize the benefits, you can make the decision whether or not you want to continue on on your own. But it's not really that big of a financial risk if you've got some grant money backing that first year or two. Great. All right. Well, yeah, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk about your experiences with whole orchard recycling. And maybe, Carl, we'll start with you and uh, give us some backstory about, you know, when this concept sort of popped up on the radar and what problems or opportunities are you looking to capitalize on in taking this approach? Yeah. So um, like many innovations in California, I think a lot of it was driven by regulatory pressure on sort of your standard process, which used to be burning, right? So you've got this orchard that needs to get replanted and you've got all this woody biomass that's <laughs> in the way. And so what do you do with it? And so you used to push it all up into a pile, burn it off, spread the ashes. But obviously in the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valley being trapped air basins, uh, there were some pretty detrimental effects. And so policy starts to kick in and becomes harder and harder to get permits to burn. Then there starts to be economic disincentives associated with that. So I think the first really evolution towards whole orchard recycling was cogeneration plants where, you know, we have big horizontal grinders. We would grind up all the woody mass, but then we would haul it off because there was an economic value to that material to generate electricity. But again, you know, that eventually 
started to have its own regulatory and pricing issues to where it didn't make sense. And so, you know, a lot of this stemmed with what do you do with all of this woody biomass now? And I know I think it was around 2012 or so research really started to pick up on recycling it back into the ground. Because in forestry, you know, when you go through and cut logs, you've just got leftover biomass and there were machines and methods to sort of reincorporate that. And so folks started first experimenting with that specific sort of machinery. It didn't work great, but it was something. And so we just kept trialing, you know, little blocks here and there, both, you know, myself as a grower, but then the industry until we got to the point where we are now, where I think there's a pretty dialed in system of grinding spreading and then reincorporating into the soil well enough to where, you know, the chips just become part of the field and done right, you don't notice them once you go back in and replant. So I think then after that, once the methodology makes sense, the economic incentives start to come in as more of an incentivizer than a de-incentivizer, right, where there are now funds available through the Air Board to actually help farmers implement this because folks are, are seeing a way that works plus the environmental benefits of it. Sure. And what are some of those environmental benefits? I mean, other than the burning, as far as to the soil itself, you know, are you looking at, okay, this is a way we can actually help, you know, build soil as well? Absolutely. So, you know, building organic matter in the San Joaquin Valley is tough, just environmentally the way it's set up. And so, you know, having, depending on the field between 50 and 90 tons per acre of woody biomass, right? You know, that's that's inputs that were hauled in to develop that and carbon that's sequestered out of the environment and you've got it all locked up in this wood. And so to be able to get that into the soil, lock it in and make it part of that soil system is a huge benefit. So you see the increased organic matter, you have fuel for microbial life and you have carbon that's largely captured back into the soil versus released into the atmosphere through burning it. And Jeremy, what's the hard part of doing this? <laughs> you know, obviously, if it was easy, everybody would already be doing it and not everybody's doing it yet. So uh, talk about kind of what's the hard part of this whole orchard recycling business. I think the challenge for us has been weather and uh, actually getting someone out there with the equipment, depending on whether you're in San Joaquin or Sac Valley. There's not very many people that have large enough equipment to handle projects like these. But if you get on early enough with someone, you can get someone out there to do it. The rain this year has presented us with some challenges, whether it's grinding or spreading or the earthwork to follow. I think we we probably only had bids from three vendors. So yeah, not a ton of people with this equipment. And when did you first kind of try this out and kind of uh, how have you changed your process, if at all, over time? Again, like the Seeds for Bees, um, this is uh, a new experience for me. Like, you know, Carl had said about increasing organic matter content. I, I knew I'd done a little reading and research that, you know, that's greatly increased by doing this. But this is a whole new project for me, too. But I haven't. Other than logistics and timing headaches, I haven't had a, a bad experience with it yet. I can share some some tough challenges with you, though, just from past experiences. I think one of the, uh, the first lessons was you can change the screen on the grinder, which will make the woody material that comes out either larger or smaller. And uh, a larger screen and larger material means it's going to go faster and you're going to burn less fuel doing it, which, you know financially sounds great 
until you reincorporate and you have these big sticks and large pieces of wood sticking out of the ground that you're having to deal with that take significantly longer to break down. And so, you know, we learned we had to invest in smaller screen sizes to get the chip size down. I think then the next lesson was, you know, how much effort do you spend reincorporating that material and how deep does it go? And, um, you know, a quick light disc pass over the top, you don't do much. And then you just deal with that woody material on top of the soil for a long time. And you probably uh, shoot yourself in the foot with some of the carbon sequestration if it's sitting there on top of the ground. So making sure that it's incorporated deep enough was also a big one. I think the last big lesson was um, all of that woody material does absorb nitrogen fertilizer quite a bit. And so before it's broken down, you're going to have to invest on the front end additional nitrogen inputs. You know, why that might sound like a a negative, I see it as more of just a front-loaded cost, right? Because you're still capturing it in that wood. And so as it breaks down, you can then throttle back on future applications. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like a slow release uh, fertilizer over time. Yep. What about any sort of like disease issues or overwintering pathogens? Is there any concern there that uh, you're creating sort of an environment to perpetuate, you know, any disease problems you may have faced in the past? Yeah, I would I would definitely recommend um, understanding what nematode pressure is in the field going into it, because if you've got a nematode issue, you could amplify that. Right. So, you know, you may need a true fumigant or even just like a biofumigant cover crop to sort of suppress nematode populations. But it's probably worth having, you know, whoever your agronomist or a chemical person is that helps you with your soils, look at that for you so you understand what your risks are there. And we've kind of alluded to incentives here on the whole orchard recycling, but uh, maybe could we walk through a bit of the economics of it, uh, where those incentives might be coming from and how that makes the whole picture look economically, you know, to take this route? Yeah, sure. So the the Air Board has um, put funding together that has historically been capped at an acreage amount. So... Actually, Jeremy, I'll let you um, cover the actual numbers because you were just doing this per acre. But, you know, right now the Air Board has actually removed that cap to help some of these larger projects be implemented, which has been a, a big help for a lot of farmers. It's roughly 600 bucks an acre to not burn. So there's financial incentive there for any grower of any size. Yeah, and I would say um, that really, if you take all the... Uh, the regulatory red tape out of the way and the frustrations of trying to get a burn permit, you're basically economically at the same level there with pushing and burning as you would be grinding. And so now it's it's kind of hard to to say no if it's going to cost the same as, as burning, um, but you've got all of your environmental health benefits plus probably um, some slow release fertilizer that you've recovered and been able to put back on the ground that you'll see reduced costs from later. Very interesting. Cool, guys. Well, all right. So anything else on the whole orchard recycling? You know, this is the first time I think it's even come up on the podcast. And so I'm sure we'll have listeners that have heard about it from other sources and wondering if it might be a fit. I like that we just kind of walk through the economics of it being somewhat equal, but some of the other benefits that are maybe in there as well. Anything else for our audience that might be relevant when talking about whole orchard recycling? I'd say our industry has a pretty great research resource. So UC Davis and the Almond Board 
both have quite a few resources. So you can either reach out, you know, to your research extension person locally at UC Davis or the person, you know, at the Almond Board or just look online. And then, you know, I'm sure anymore you can find Jeremy and myself on LinkedIn and several other farmers that have have done this. So, you know, there's a lot of folks that have gone through the hard lessons now and sort of learned how to not make those mistakes early on. So it's it's worth talking to folks and avoiding those yourself if you're interested in implementing it. For Agus, with the resources to have a really talented team thinking about all these things, I could imagine an individual grower being like, okay, well, how should I think about sustainability? I can't hire, you know, a Carl Evers to like run my sustainability program. So like, how should I be thinking about this? And I already feel like I have too much on my plate. What advice would you maybe give the individual grower that doesn't have a team on how to think about some of these things? Yeah, I'm going to use this opportunity to make a little bit of a plug, but only because I think it's going to be really great for folks. So we participate in third party auditing and certification of our operations. So, you know, there, there's more than one way to look at that. Even the Almond Board has some resources for, you know, inputting sustainability metrics for industry-wide data. But we participate in a, a program called Leading Harvest. And so Leading Harvest has an entire sustainability standard. And so for those farmers that are thinking, you know, well, how do I really wrap my mind around this and integrate some of this stuff into my operation? Participating in Leading Harvest gives you a standard to work with, right? So you've got basically a framework set out for you, and then they help you with with certification. And the certification, I think, is also a pretty positive thing because really, I think the world wants us to be more open and transparent about who we are and what we do as farmers, right? What is really involved in my food production? So that's a great way is just participating in some sort of program that actually certifies you and gives you assistance in becoming certified. So that's something to look up. Uh, They're actually working now on sort of creating some financial help and incentives for smaller farm units where the, the economic sort of front cost of becoming certified might be harder. So Agus uses that for kind of like benchmarking or kind of ha- how are you all using it? Yeah, so so we, we uh, have been certified to the standard. And so what that does for us is it, it gives our own operations and our clients sort of the reassurance that it's actually a third party auditing firm to leading harvest, right? So they are not sort of financially incentive or bound to us being certified. It brings a lot of integrity to the system. So I think with the larger investment managers on a social level, you know, folks being able to see that there are firms investing into this and really having someone else look at them and show whether or not they're sustainable gives the general public reassurance that folks like us are doing a good job. And then by being part of that, it, it gives us access to sort of a network of folks focused on continual improvement and sustainability. It's not a competitive thing between different folks being certified. It's really a, a collaborative environment where you know we can look at practices both on the ground or maybe even just economic strategies and making sustainability a more viable part of our operations. Making sustainability a more viable part of our operations. What a great note to end on there. Thank you so much to both Carl Evers and Jeremy Olday for joining us on today's show. Both of these guys said they're open to connecting on LinkedIn for anyone listening who may want to know more about their work. 
And speaking of learning more about this work, there's a brand new mini documentary coming out about the development of whole orchard recycling, as well as some other resources you don't want to miss out on. And that's the focus of today's ABC update. At the end of an orchard's productive life, almond growers must decide what to do with their old trees, either replant immediately or maybe wait a year. Whole orchard recycling is an innovative and sustainable practice that contributes to the success of the subsequent orchard by not only putting everything grown in the previous orchard to optimal use, but also providing value back to the grower by delivering nutrients, improving soil quality, and potentially increasing yields. There's a great story behind the development of whole orchard recycling. Almond Board Senior Manager of Industry Relations and Communications, Jenny Nicolau, says there's a new mini documentary coming out to share this story. Yeah, so the mini doc is just about to be launched and it's so exciting because it really proves how one person with one idea can spark change for an industry. And this mini doc is about a six minute story of Dr. Brent Holtz and about 35 years worth of his work and his passion. And so it really goes back to his childhood, living within the center of Modesto and an urban sprawl, getting closer and closer to their family farm. So Whole Orchard Recycling started as a personal problem on their farm, and it really sparked an idea for Brent to look into the benefits of recycling a mature almond orchard and what that potential could be to really give back to the next orchard. And so this mini doc really outlines his personal journey, as well as the research outcomes and ultimately the value a grower would receive if they choose to implement whole orchard recycling. Research conducted by UC Cooperative Extension, initially funded and supported by the Almond Board of California, has identified significant advantages of whole orchard recycling. What I love the most about this story is just how much passion Brent has had. This is something at his core that he believed in. It's something that he dreamed about. Even when, you know, back when he had this vision, I don't know how many supporters there really were, um, but he was dedicated and he put the research in, he put the time in, and he really has changed an industry. Whole Orchard Recycling is now considered an industry best practice. Um, And we know that a large majority of growers are considering, if not implementing this today. And if you're one of those growers who's considering whole orchard recycling on your operation, not only will you enjoy the mini doc, but there are also other resources available to help you. So growers who want to learn more about whole orchard recycling um, can visit almonds.com slash W-O-R. And you can download the whole Orchard Recycling Guide. It's a fantastic resource about things to consider, the benefits, and the steps. There's also a few other short videos. One would be an overview of whole orchard recycling, just how it works and the benefits. And then there's a second short video, which is really a how-to, things to consider, especially after you implement whole orchard recycling. What does that mean to your nitrogen requirements when you plant the next orchard? Again, huge shout out to Dr. Brent Holtz, who's really the visionary. He is the leader in all things whole orchard recycling, and and he is a man who truly has helped shape this industry. Okay, again, that's almonds.com forward slash W-O-R for whole orchard recycling. To download the grower guide, watch the overview of the benefits of whole orchard recycling, and to get a great how-to video featuring Dr. Brent Holtz. 
So go to almonds.com forward slash W-O-R. Here on the Almond Journey podcast, we believe everyone in the industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. And that's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, of resilience, and of community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to others in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together.